0: John chapter 16, we finish Jesus speaking about what it will mean for them to be persecuted. I have verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, I have said these things to you to keep you from stumbling. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, an hour is coming when those who will kill you will think that they are that, that by doing so they are offering worship to God and remember we talked about how that reflected the fact that the the Jews were frequently putting Christians out of the synagogue thinking that was a good thing thinking that was a way in which they were improving their worship and helping these wayward Christians to recognize that they need to be leaving this worship of Jesus and come back to the fold of the synagogue and in a few cases it worked but in most cases it did not work the and an hour is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing so that they are doing by doing so they are offering worship to God and they will do this because they have not known the father or me they are putting you out of the synagogues they are torturing you they are giving you over to the roman authorities they think they're worshiping god but they're not they don't know god because they don't know me but i have said these things to you so that when their hour comes when these events start to happen you may remember that i told you about them So here we have Jesus speaking really and truly to the church of John's day, the author of the gospels day, saying to them, what you're going through now, being excluded from the synagogue, being handed over to the Roman authorities, being forced to either worship the emperor or be put to death, all of these persecutions you're currently undergoing, I warned you about back then, and now you're experiencing it. I did not say these things then we're in the middle of verse four. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Oh, wait a minute now, wait a minute now, wait a minute now. Back in chapter 14, Thomas, verse five, Thomas said to him, Lord, We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Does Jesus have a short memory? (laughs) It's interesting. Uh, But now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Well, it's the writer, it's not Jesus. (laughs) Thomas went for a break right then. John went for a break and forgot about it. Thomas wasn't there right then. Thomas wasn't there right then. That's an interesting question. I mean, it it seems a little weird, doesn't it? It does. Doesn't it? Uh, This, I think, reflects the fact that many of these sayings of Jesus here in 14, 15, and 16 come from many different areas in Jesus's ministry, many different times in Jesus's ministry. And it could very well be, the. remember temporality isn't an issue for John the author. So it may very well be the case that this was said prior to Thomas's question, but didn't get written down in the gospel and it got placed after it by mistake or even by intention. It's interesting that he says this, and, 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 and Thomas had asked the question exactly like this just two chapters before. Hmm. But now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, well, of course sorrow has filled your heart. We don't want to undergo persecution. We don't want to have you leave us. We don't want to have to go through all this stuff without you right here. Are you kidding, Jesus? We don't want you to die. We don't want any of this to happen, and we certainly don't want to be put out of the synagogues and be handed over for death. Of course, sorrow has filled our hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you. Nevertheless, verse seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate, the paracletos, we've heard about him already. This is the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the counselor, the other counselor, the guide. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate, the paracletos, the counselor, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you." So in other words, Jesus is going away, allows for God to come and be with us in yet, in yet a more internal way, in an even more personal way than having Jesus sitting right here. The, the parakletos, the advocate, the counselor comes, the Holy Spirit comes to be within us, to bring God's presence, to bring the, the presence of Jesus to inside of us. Not just sitting here with us that we listen to, but indwelling, that's what the advocate does. That's what the counselor does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, the parakletos, comes to indwell, to live within, to bring the very presence of God in Jesus Christ to within us. And that can't happen until Jesus goes away. I think it's fascinating. I mean, I I suppose it could happen. I suppose there's nothing that that God can't do, therefore it could happen. But for some reason, it's not going to happen until Jesus goes away. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. There you go. The general understanding of the church is... You have God the Father, the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son is the mediator between us and the Father and the Spirit serves a role in that mediation. The the Holy Spirit is given by the Son or through the Son to us. Think about the Creed for instance. Um, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father. Who with, Now, in the original version, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. In the West, added to the creed, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. The East said, we'll agree to the addition if you change it from the the and to through, who proceeds from the father through the son. And the West said, we prefer and the son. And because the West did it by fiat, they thought they had the power to do it. The East didn't like it and they didn't agree to it. So they split in the year 1000 and the Eastern Orthodox Roman Catholic split occurred in the 1000s AD, 1064. And that was the first major split in Christendom amongst Catholic Christianity, East and West, came over the very issue, this very issue, how does the Holy Spirit come to us? And they both agreed the Holy Spirit comes to us with Jesus in the midst of it. Who pro- the, in the West wanted to say who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who comes to us from the Father and the Son. Whereas the East wanted to say who comes to us from the Father through the Son, and they use this as their justification. The third passage we just read. Now, quite frankly, the East is right. Yeah. <laughs> and the East is also right about being ticked off about the West, adding and the sun to the creed. Yeah. Guess what? We still say in the Nicene creed, <laughs> and the sun. today in in, in that hymnal over there at the Nicene Creed it says who we believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord the giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son and if you've ever noticed when we are doing that Nicene Creed if you've ever watched me you'll notice that when I reach that part of the creed I usually put a hand behind my back and cross my fingers (laughs) I'm sorry, that's silly. Or I will, or sometimes if I'm not leading it, my voice will drop out a bit. Because I actually am in solidarity with the East on these issues. Well, it just makes sense. It it makes a little more sense. Uh, Or I will sometimes say, who proceeds from the Father through the Son, instead of Father and the Son. I'll, 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 I'll go with that position. But you know, I'll only do that if I'm not leading it vocally in public, but I've often put my hands behind my back and crossed <laughs> the reapers. Well right now so you're <laughs> saying the East Eastern Church doesn't believe in the Trinity. No, they believe in the Trinity. Oh they do. But they don't believe in that 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 you could that the West had a right to add and the Son to that portion of the Creed where it says the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. The original reading of it was, the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. That's, that's the Nicene Creed as originally written and translated into English. Okay. Uh, what the West did was it added the Greek word, or actually one word, filioque, uh, which means and the Son, so that it now reads, We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. And glorified. Who proceeds from the two persons of right. the Trinity. Yeah. Not the one person of the Trinity. The East said, oh, well we agree the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father but through the Son. Right. We, don't have, we, we understand what you mean. By, and what the West means by and the Son is that the Son has a role to play in conveying the Spirit to us. And it's an equal role with the Father. What the East says is that the Father extends the Holy Spirit to us through the agency of the Son, through the, through the identity of the Son, through the word and command of the Son. And that's what we have right here. Um, and yet they would also say that it's not a, a hierarchical kind of thing, that the fa- what the Father does, the Son does, what the Son does, the Father does. They don't disagree with that. So in the end, they're both saying the exact same thing. The problem was is that the East got ticked off at the West for thinking that the West had the authority to add something to an ecumenical creed that had originally been agreed to in the 300s and 400s A.D. at, at Nicaea and Constantinople. And so the, the East said, we agree with your addition, let us vote on it. We'll vote in favor of it. We'll maybe make an amendment and suggest through because that's what you believe too. And, and we'll go from there. And sorry, the, that wasn't good enough. The West said we have the authority, because we're the Pope, to, to make this edition and and uh, and you just have to go along with it and if you don't go along with it well anathema on you will excommunicate you and the east said well if you don't take it out anathema on you will excommunicate you and they both sent archbishops opposite directions one went to Rome and laid this bull of of excommunication on the altar in the vatican and the other one went to the <laughs> east And laid this bull of excommunication on the altar at the Hagia Sophia in Constantinople and they excommunicated each other. (laughs) Talk about ridiculous but that's what they did and it stuck for a thousand years almost. They lifted those bulls in the 1900s Mm. against each other and today in special circumstances uh, eastern orthodox and roman catholic can receive communion together especially when the, when the Pope and the Patriarch are together for whatever reason. And in those joint services, the creed written in Latin contains filioque and from the sun. The creed that is written in Greek does not. And so you'll have the two groups saying the creed and the one in the west will add that and the Son, and the one in the east will, add, um, will leave it out. Uh, except uh, John Paul II, at at one of his last ecumenical gatherings when he met with all of the patriarchs of the Eastern Orthodox Churches. And they had a worship service. And their only common language, their only common language was English. And so everything was done in English. And in that service, the Pope's uh, um, fella who was in charge of helping set up the liturgy agreed and they left that part of the creed out. And the Pope authorized that, and it was one of those things where the East said, "Our brother has come to his senses." <laughs> Unfortunately, that was just for then and there; it didn't stick. But um, no, I'm, I'm you know you, you think these things are ridiculous, and they really are, and yet there are people who have died for this kind of stuff, ridiculously so, stupidly so. But the the root of the argument actually stems to right here. The theology contained in John chapter 16 is a Trinitarian theology. I mean, it really is. It's not spelled out as such, but it is. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I do, I, Jesus, will send him to you. And we've already heard that the Father is going to be sending this advocate. So you've got all persons of the Trinity right there. And Jesus has a role to play in sending it. So it is correct to add something there. The question is, what do you add and on what authority do you add it? And they've never settled that one. They still haven't settled that one. They need to hold a, cre- a council to do it, but they're not gonna, it's too old of a fight. <laughs> I wish they would. Anyway, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if i go i will send him to you and when he comes and when he comes he will prove the world wrong notice it says the world he will prove the world wrong about sin about sin and righteousness and judgment About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no longer. Okay. About judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. Okay, let's look at all three of those. About sin, because they do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit will come, the advocate will come and will prove the world wrong about sin because they do not believe in me. Because the world rejects Jesus. It's basic understanding of what sin is will be proven wrong. What does that mean? What is sin? What does the world teach us sin is? Well, a lot of stuff, but it's probably not believing in God. Missing the, the mark. It's the, the main one is not believing in God or following His words. Okay. Uh, yeah. What's the world teach us about what Laid sin is? They do not cuss and don't smoke and all that stuff. They think it's a bunch of rules and regulations. Oh, don't do this, don't do this other. Don't do this other, do do this, do do this other, and do do this. You're saying do do. Do do. It's a bunch of do-do and don't do. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's what the world says about sin. It's be good, don't be bad. Now there's nothing wrong with being good and not being bad. I, I highly recommend that. That's a good thing. That's a good thing in terms of social discourse. But it doesn't have anything to do with sin. Nothing to do with sin. Sin is what you, you, you said. it. It's missing the mark. It's an archery term for when you pull back on your bow and let the arrow fly, you miss the target. And usually, it's when your arrow actually doesn't even make it to the target, but hits the ground between you and the barn wall. You don't even hit the wall, you don't hit left, you don't hit right, your arrow actually falls short of the target. It's not that you can't hit the target, you go far right or far left, you can't hit the center, it's that you can't even reach it. That's what the meaning of the Greek word harmartia is, and that's the words being used here for sin. The world says sin is being bad, not being nice to people. It's not sin. Sin is fa- failing to live according to the way God wants you to live. Yeah. Missing the mark of God's glory or God's righteousness, God's perfection, God's demands, God's way. And we've already heard what God's commandment is in Jesus Christ. You know, you heard it, didn't you? A couple of chapters ago? Mm-hmm. To love. Yes. Yes. Okay. This is my commandment that you love one another. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's slightly more powerful than the Leviticus statement. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' new commandment is you shall love one another as I have loved you, and I laid down my life for you. You should love your neighbor better than yourself, in essence, more than yourself. That's essentially Jesus' commandment. That's his modification, Leviticus' commandment, in John. And now we have that here, missing the mark. Harmartia, sin, is failure to live your life in accordance with that. It's a, I do not recommend being bad to people uh, I think it's a good thing to be good to people. But that's the world's definition of sin, and it has nothing to do with God's definition of sin. It's not even breaking the Ten Commandments. Yeah, if you break all the Ten Commandments, guess what? You're not abiding by Jesus's commandment. You're failing that. But that is, but breaking the Ten Commandments isn't, isn't essence of sin. Isn't the same thing that got the Jews in trouble all the time? Frequently. Repeat. It's what gets us in trouble all the time. It's what gets people in trouble all the time. It's thinking that we can set up a list of of do-do's and don't-do's, and we think, well, this is what God wants. No, it's not. There's only one do-do. There's only one thing that you must do. And if you don't do this, you can forget about all of It's not gonna help you, not eternally. That's one of the first things the Holy Spirit does is it convicts or proves the world wrong about sin. And it's not just that the world doesn't understand sin in its basic characteristic, or it thinks it has an understanding of sin and that understanding is flawed, but it is proven by the advocate, by the Holy Spirit, that the world's understanding Of sin is wrong because it fails to believe in Jesus. It fails to believe in him. It fails to have faith, to faith him about sin, hamartia, because they do not believe in me. They do not faith in me. If the world were to faith in Jesus, The world would understand, come to understand, realize what the true nature of hamartia is, what the true nature of sin is. It wouldn't create these stupid little lists of do-do's and don't-do's. It would instead come to understand that it is about faithing or not faithing. It is about loving and not loving. It is about reaching out with the love of God or not reaching out with the love of God. It's about acting in faith. It's about obeying Jesus. It's about living In faith or not living in faith. The world doesn't get it. The world doesn't understand it. The world doesn't accept that. The world does not believe in Jesus. Hence, the world is proven wrong by the advocate about Hamartia, about sin. It doesn't even understand what sin is. And it commits the ultimate sin, the the, the worst possible sin you can think of, by killing the most innocent one, the one who's absolutely not guilty it instead kills, hence the next one. Now, this next word about righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will see me no more about righteousness. Peri dikaiosuneis, dikaiosunei. In the letters of Paul, dikaiosunei means righteousness. It also means justification, hence, Justice. And the advocate proves the world wrong about righteousness, justification, justice. In that, and notice what he says. Because, in that, because, or in that, I am going to the Father and you will see me no more. Jesus jumps all the way to the resurrection and the ascension here. The world will be proven wrong by the advocate, the Holy Spirit, about what true righteousness, true justification, and true justice is by the very fact that Jesus is raised from the dead and ascends to the Father in heaven and is no longer here. If the world was right about sin, if the world was right about Jesus, if the world was right about what it was looking for in the Messiah, if the Jewish people were correct in their expectation of the Messiah and therefore the Jewish leadership was accurate in in executing Jesus, if if the world was right in its opposition to Jesus, uh, then he would not have been raised from the dead and he would not have ascended to the Father in heaven. If the world was right, About all of this, about what sin is and about who the Messiah is supposed to be, then Jesus would not have been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. But since Jesus is raised from the dead and is ascended to God the Father in heaven and is no longer with us. Since Jesus doesn't stay dead, but is indeed raised from the dead and ascends into heaven, because of this, God is on Jesus' side, Jesus is right, the world is wrong, the world's understanding of justice is flawed, it has no conception of justification, and its righteousness is as filthy rags. Its understanding of sin is faulty, wrong from the get-go, hence its understanding of righteousness, the flip side, the other side of the coin, from Hamartia is Sune, and it, it is wrong about both. It was wrong about it in Jesus Christ. It refused to have faith. It refused to exercise faith in him. Hence, its, its own understanding of what righteousness is is flawed, about what it means to be justified is flawed, and what justice is in and of itself is wrong. True justice is Jesus rising from the dead and ascending into heaven. True justice is God absolutely proclaiming that he is on Jesus' side in Jesus' own resurrection. So, putting that back together again. About sin, because they do not believe in me. They do not faith in me. About justice because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no more. Because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no more, this proves the world is wrong about justice, about righteousness, about justification. My resurrection and ascension, through it, the Advocate proves the world wrong about its total misunderstanding, of what justice really is, about what righteousness really is. Just as the world is wrong with regards to sin because it fails to have faith in Jesus, so also the world is wrong about Jesus himself because Jesus raises from the dead and thereby proves them wrong. And finally, and it's the direct result of this, and finally about judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. Chrysios, Chrysios, judgment. About judgment. Because the ruler of this world has been condemned. Who's the ruler of this world? Who's the ruler of this world? The ruler of this world is Satan, the devil, the deceiver. The ruler of this world is the prince of the power of the air. And he's wrong, and he loses. In all of this, he loses. He tries to win when the world says that sins are this list of do-do's and don't-do's. That has nothing to do with sin, as we said earlier. It tries to win by killing Jesus, thinking, aha, we'll just get rid of this Messiah, and then we can put up our own counterfeit. No, the the supreme uh, dichotomy here is that What the world thinks will bring it victory actually brings it defeat. What the world believes will bring it victory actually brings it defeat. Condemnation. The ruler of this world has been condemned because Jesus raised from the dead, proven the world wrong about justice, about righteousness, about justification. And because the advocate absolutely demonstrates the world is totally clueless about what sin is. What sin truly is. And that brings it all together. About sin, because they do not faith in me. About justice, because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no longer. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. The advocate proves the world wrong about all these things. The world is totally clueless. The world does not get it at all. The world is deaf and blind and dumb on it all. I still have many things to say to you. Oh, my goodness, gracious Jesus, you've been saying. I mean, we were done way back here. Back in 14, uh, rise, let us be on our way. Oh, wait a minute, I'm not done yet. And now we have a whole other chapter later, and in the middle of it, he says, I still have many things to say to you. My word, Jesus. But you cannot bear them now. Well, finally, our attention span is right up to here, Jesus. That means he's going to quit, right? No. (laughs) I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You would think, okay, now we're going to get to go across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives. No, we're not done yet. We still got the rest of chapter 16 to go. And then chapter 17 in the high priestly prayer, And then chapter 18, finally, at the beginning of chapter 18, finally he gets up and goes across the Kidron Valley. After having said back at the end of chapter 14, four chapters earlier, that's time to go, they have a four-chapter interlude, and we're only in the middle of it. Well, that's where that is about the um, 1430. Yes. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. So he's there to try to change... Jesus is mine. Yeah, that's right. You found it. You found it. Your homework is done. (laughs) Yay. Yes. You will have a gold star on your report card. I still I I (laughs) still Of a teacher, uh, I mean, we all can be very happy for little things. We need stars. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit co- of Truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own, but will speak whatever He hears, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, we've already heard this, that the Holy Spirit will come and will do the teaching. You actually were pretty close to it there back in chapter 14. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So here we have the role of the Holy Spirit. He will come to continue what I have started, Jesus says. He will come to continue the teaching. Whatever the Holy Spirit teaches you after my death and resurrection and ascension is a continuation of what we have here. Interesting. The idea being that what I have said to you is essential, what the Holy Spirit is going to say to you is essential. Is of the same authority it comes from God the Father through me through him the Holy Spirit and what I say to you now is of equal authority as what he will say to you then continuing revelation it, it's not over with Jesus's death it continues hmm. a little while Verse 16, a little while and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Okay, (laughs) now you see me, now you don't. Now you see me again. Yes, exactly. Then some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying this? (laughs) A little while and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father, they said, What does he mean by his a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. They're flummoxed. They're flummoxed. That's a neat word, flummoxed. (laughs) Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said a little while and you will no longer see me? And again, a little while and you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. And you will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. Oh, that doesn't... At first, that sounds pretty icky, Jesus. And then you say, your pain will turn in. I don't wanna have pain at all, Jesus. But don't worry, your pain will turn into joy. Well, I don't wanna have pain at all, I'm sorry. It's gonna happen. But don't be worried because eventually, your pain will turn into joy. Look at this definition. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, yeah. -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that true? Oh, yeah. After a baby's born, you go, it's a new new person. Mm -hmm. And is it worth nearly, quite literally being, having your bones separate to, (laughs) to do it? Well, I, I do teenagers. actually, it depends when you had them. When I had mine, they put you to sleep, but you didn't have yeah, it. Uh, epidural, yeah, size. so. Caesareans are so not. Nice. Uh, that's just an amazing uh, metaphor he's pulling here, this interesting simile. He's saying that that this, we go through the pain and the suffering here. But there's, there's a purpose involved, and later we won't remember the suffering, we'll remember only the joy. So you have pain now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Well, that's the good news right there. No one will take your joy from you. So, so often things, people, events, try to take the joy from us. No, that'll never happen again. On that day, you will ask nothing of me. What? What? On that day, you will ask nothing of me. Very truly, I tell you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. We've already heard that like twice before. Here we hear it again. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Well, that's interesting. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete that's fascinating they haven't asked for anything in his name yet well you haven't had given him a chance jesus you've only been telling you only told him that back in chapter 14 and then in chapter 15 that you know you have to ask in his name and you've been talking ever since so (laughs) they've been sitting in the same spot their butts are getting numb. <laughs> the numbness is, going, is creeping from their rear ends to their heads. I mean, we've been, we've been working on this there for three or four weeks, and they're sitting there the whole time. Wow. I have said these things to you in figures of speech, do you think? no kidding no kidding jesus (laughs) i've said these things to you in figures of speech the hour is coming when i will no longer speak to you in figures but will tell you plainly of the father on that day you will ask in my name i do not say to you that i will ask the father on your behalf For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Jesus is extremely wordy. (laughs) (laughs) I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and I am going to the Father. All right. If you haven't gotten it already, this is a... It, it's almost like someone has taking, taken teachings of Jesus from multiple settings and sort of jumbled them together. Okay, Have you been able to figure that out yet? It seems like he's done that. There is a general theme here. And he keeps repeating this refrain. Ask the Father. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to come again. I came from the Father. The Holy Spirit's going to come. The Holy Spirit's going to teach you. The Holy Spirit's going to be with you ask the Father and I will give you, you haven't asked yet, but you're going to ask in my name and I will give you anything that you ask for. And then over and over and over, this theme continues to be rattling around in there. And it seems like what has happened is the author of John has taken this whole mishmash of teachings of Jesus where he taught the same thing repeatedly in different locations to different people and just kind of threw them all together to make sure he didn't miss anything. And he stuck it here because there's almost no other place for it to go than just before he actually goes to the Father. It doesn't make sense to put it earlier, even if it was said earlier, because in communicating it in the gospel itself, it makes more sense to put all of this stuff together right before he goes to the Father. But in more likelihood, Jesus did all this teaching across a much broader period of time, which would probably make them go even more, if you think about it. And you know what? That's also true in the synoptics. We have all of these teachings conglomerated together in one location, like the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain. In all reality, he preached these things many different times in many different places, spread out over a much broader period of time. Probably not a a three-chapter long sermon like he does in Matthew. More like Luke where it's spread out across the the totality of the gospel. And in John we have all these big, huge dialogues like the one we're coming to the end of now. And these huge dialogues probably are made up of multiple teaching sessions on related subjects across a longer period of time with multiple audiences. that's why we keep on getting this repeated refrain and this going back and forth and around, kind of like on a roller coaster. You know, you do some loop-de-loops like on the shockwave and you up and down and around and back again, because that's kind of how it goes. If you, if you throw a whole bunch of sermons together, that's kind of what you get. That's kind of what you have here. Verse 29, his disciples said, let's, 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 let's pack, pick up that whole idea again. Verse 25 again, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but will tell you plainly of the Father. On that day, you will ask in my name. I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father loves you. Because you have loved me and I have believed and have believed that I came from God. So in other words, because you love me, you don't have I don't have to ask for you as a mediation. You just ask directly. Well, that's interesting. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again I am leaving and the and the world and am going to the Father. So in other words, this business about he was the word and he becomes flesh and dwells among us. Is reflected right there. And I'm getting ready to go back. Finally, light bulb over the head time. Verse 29. His disciples said, yes, now you are speaking plainly. Ta-da! Yes, now you are speaking plainly, not in any figure of speech. Now we know that, that you know all things. Well, Jesus, I've been telling you this for chapters and chapters and chapters and chapters. And it's now that you finally figure it out. Now we know that you know all things and do not need to have anyone question you. By this we believe that you come from God. Well, now, wait a minute. I seem to remember way back at the very beginning... They were proclaiming Jesus as the Son of God in chapter 2. <laughs> They're doing it again. Do they have amnesia? Do they <laughs> and you notice no one, no specific disciple is mentioned here. It's just kind of in general. They, the disciples, say. It must have been Thomas. He influenced them all. He's doubting right? <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. It's curious. Jesus answered them Do you now believe? The hour is coming, indeed it has come when you will be, when you will be scattered, each one to his home, and you will leave me alone.. Oh. Ooh. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have said this to you so that in, so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you face persecution, but take courage. I have conquered the world. So the, to the church, recognize, yes, those disciples were scattered. The church is scattered. Think about the church in the 90s AD, scattered throughout the empire partly due to the diaspora from 70 AD in Jerusalem and partly due to the nature of the spread of Christianity into the Gentile world. The church is scattered independently. Lots of church, house churches, regional churches. They have connections with each other. They communicate, but they're not close. They don't have the internet. They don't have TV or radio or telephone. They don't have jet travel or vehicles. Uh, They just have boats and horses and donkeys and feet and it takes a long time to get anywhere so communications is slow so they're kind of scattered but they're not alone they're undergoing persecution but they're not alone even though it seems like the world is getting ready to conquer them Jesus has conquered the world that's good the good news here Jesus has conquered the world he says it even before he does it by the way He's not died yet (coughs) and he says I conquered, I have conquered the world. Take courage, I have conquered the world. They end up getting killed. (laughs) All but one. All but one. Mm -hmm. That's right, they do. They end up getting killed for proclaiming the message, (coughs) refusing to deny the message. They end up getting killed and they continue to proclaim it. These people, these disciples who who so misunderstood, so long, we see this in the synoptics, we see it in John. They misunderstand, they misunderstand, they go, I don't know, I don't understand it. Continually having trouble with it. After the resurrection, something changes in them. They come to understand in a way beyond human understanding. And not only do they come to understand it, these people who were once fraidy cats, afraid of their own shadow almost, end up being so changed by what they experienced that they were willing to die rather than deny it. Think about it, most of them are alone, living out on the very edge, the very few Christians around them. If they recanted their belief and saved their lives, no one would probably know. But they didn't and they died had nothing changed them had there been nothing to this they could have well we made it all up don't kill us and they don't die we'll, we'll go and we'll pay our temple tax and we'll, we'll sacrifice to the emperor and, and we'll live and who's going to know well we would have found out none of the apostles did that Except for John, they all died a martyr's death. There's something about this death and resurrection of Jesus and ascension of Jesus and the coming of the paracletos and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us that changes us and transforms us. There's something about this that is so powerful it could not be suppressed then. And in the face of persecution, and across the centuries to today. Why is his message to love one another? It's his message. Even if you don't like him. (laughs) It's uh, It's his message, it's his way of life, it's the promise of eternity, it's the realization of eternity now, So many people get caught up in the idea that we've got heaven ever after to go to. The realization should be we can experience that love of God in heaven here today and share that love with others. So many people wanna make Christianity just me and Jesus, just just this inner little circle bit. It's never been that. It's always been us and Jesus, uh, us proclaiming Jesus to the world, us being Jesus to the world shining forth your light to the world so that others might hear and know and and receive the love of God and and be allowed and and, and, and empowered to be a part of the family. Well, over there in Pakistan, they're still killing Christians. Yeah, I just read about a minister who was killed just the other day. And in Egypt, they're persecuting the Coptic Christians. I mean, it's it's bad. The persecution yeah. does exist. We're going backwards. But to those people, well, it's always been that way. Yeah. it's, it's, it's um, coming up. Though. It's, it, we're, we're hearing it again. Um, to those Christians who are undergoing that persecution in Pakistan and in Egypt and in some places in India, take courage. I have conquered the world. been listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, senior pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2011 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.